title for us this morning is How to Withstand the Storm of False Doctrine. How to Withstand the Storm of False Doctrine. In August 1992, South Florida prepared for the landfall of what would inevitably turn out to be one of the most disastrous hurricanes to ever hit Florida with 65 recorded deaths, and one of the most expensive insurance bill up to that point, over $27 billion in damages done. Of course, I'm referring to Hurricane Andrew. The memories left by that storm are so serious that if you're anything like me, then you probably remember where you were when it made landfall, who you were with, and what the circumstances were for you around that terrible night and morning. As we all prepared, listening to Brian Norcross and whoever else we put our trust in at that time, we kept hearing on repeat the same commands, the same warnings. Stay inside, lock up tight, and whatever you do, once the storm starts, don't go outside. You stay inside where it is safe and leave the outside where it is, namely, outside. I want to turn a corner and say this. Just as we were told to stay inside and to leave the outside elements where they were outside when it came to hurricane preparedness, so it is, church, with the storms of false doctrine. We must stay where we are. We must leave the outside world to itself because allowing it inside our church would compromise our own safety. These are the two simple points that I'd like to share with you from our text, 2 John verses 9 through 11 this morning, namely, without any further exordium, that you and I should stay inside and leave others outside. First of all, that we should stay inside, and secondly, leave others outside. So let's look at our first point this morning, which is found in verse 9. Stay where you are. Look at verse 9 again, if you would, please, and I'll read it aloud. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, but whoever what? Abides. You know what it means to abide? It means to stay. It means to dwell. Whoever abides, whoever stays in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. You can recall from our hurricane preparedness that we were told to stay home, to stay safe, to stay with our loved ones, and to keep everything that was around us shut up. Church, there's a time to be neighborly. There's a time to be loving. There's a time to be redemptive. And then there's a time to close your door. And there is a time to have resolve. There is a time to refuse to allow anything or everything to compromise the safety of everything that is dear to you. Looking back at verse 9 again, John says it like this. Everyone who, he says, goes on ahead and does not abide. They don't stay in the teaching of Christ. They don't have God. But whoever does stay, whoever does abide, they have the Father and the Son. There's a couple of things that I want you to note here. First, don't leave the safety of the church. 
Don't leave the safety of the church. Now, I have a particular vantage point from the pulpit week in and week out, and I know who's here and who's not here. I know who's going through what and who isn't going through what. I know who loves Jesus and who doesn't. I know who is going to be here through thick and thin and who would be knocked over by stiff breeze. I know you. And I'm telling you today, because God's word is saying this, that first and foremost, you must stay in the safety of the church. John is saying that these false teachers, these criminals of orthodoxy, have left the church. They've gone out. John says, the literal translation of the word here that suggests that they've gone out ahead is literally that they've gone ahead too far. They're on their own, as it were. They're considering themselves wiser than First Baptist Church of Color Ridge. Wiser than the Bible that Pastor Joe preaches from every single week without apology or excuse. I don't need the Bible. I've got something more. I don't need to go to First Baptist Church of Color Ridge. I don't have to stay in the safety of the fellowship of the community of believers. I've got something more. John says, they've gone on ahead. Or as the literal translation of the Greek phrase implies, they've actually gone too far. Biblical isn't enough. Christian isn't enough. Godliness isn't enough. There's got to be more. They've gone further to whatever it is at the time because it changes, doesn't it? Today, this it, and that's that it, and tomorrow it's another it. There's always something. But that leads me to my second point. That we are not only to leave the safety of the church, but we're not to leave the sanctity of the church. False teachers might have so-called knowledge that those who remain in the church don't have. That's doubtful, but fine. We'll grant them that. But what those who remain in the church do have that false teachers don't have is the Father and the Son. Look at the text again, verse 9. Whoever abides in the teaching has the Father and has the Son. If you wander from the church, you're forsaking the Father and the Son. This is not Joe being hopped up on five-hour energy and caffeine. This is biblical teaching. To wander from the church is to refuse the fellowship of the Father and the Son because you're refusing the fellowship of God's people. You know... You know who these people are. I'm spiritual, but I don't go to church. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. If you are a Christian, and that's a conditional clause, if. If you are a Christian and you aren't worshiping with God's people on the Lord's Day with regularity, in the very least, you're not a healthy Christian. Because in the Bible, Christians go to church. Christians worship, because that's what Christians do. Christians worship. We do all things to the glory of whom? We do all things to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says, whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, can you sleep in on the Lord's day to the glory of God? You're forsaking the safety of the church, and you're forsaking the sanctity of the church, and then 
somehow, some way, you think that the Father and the Son are keeping you company through all your highs and lows. There are two things that we need to note here. The first is that sometimes people who claim to be Christians will leave the church in order to follow after other teachings that are unbiblical and non-Christian. It's hard to worship at a church like ours while you're entertaining false doctrine. The other thing that we need to note is that those who remain in the church because they are connected to the truth of the gospel will abide in the church and have fellowship with both God the Father and God the Son. The obvious question now is, how can we tell who is sound and who is not? How can we tell who a sound teacher is and who an unsound teacher is? Well, the answer that we require, we covered last week in verse 7. If you look backwards just a couple of verses, you'll see in verse 7 that John says, for many deceivers. What does he call them? Yeah, what's another word for deceiver? Liars! There's a bunch of liars out there. And these liars, interestingly enough, they're not finding their way into the church. John says the liars have gone out from the church. You know, because some people, they're infatuated with themselves. They believe they're wise. They believe they're astute, sagacious. They like to pontificate on nonsensical terms. And they say, you know what? The Bible's interesting, but... It's not enough for me. I'm, I'm going to pursue something more. This is what John was dealing with. In the ancient times, we called it Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a movement that essentially said, we're enlightened and you're not. We're enlightened and you're not. We know something you don't. Gnosko in the Greek means to know. So essentially what John was dealing with back then is this. They say they know, but what they actually reject is the truth. Verse 7 says, Jesus came in the flesh. Incidentally, I want to say something here. Paul says in Colossians 3.11 that Christ is all. Christ is everything. And these people who claim to be Christians but actually teach a false doctrine are claiming to be Christians while defaming Christ who came from heaven to earth, lived a life as a man to die and pay the redemptive price for our sins. For this reason, church, you and I, we must have boundaries. Convictions that we possess in order to safeguard what is valuable from the storms of false doctrines and false teachings. You know what boundaries are. When Brian Norcross said, get safe in the house, you used a door. You closed the windows. You put plywood over the windows. You created literal, physical boundaries to insulate yourself from the things that were detrimental and dangerous outside. Say amen if you're following me. Amen. You've got to do the same thing for your spiritual, emotional, and mental life. You can't leave your mind open to anything and everything. 
You can't leave your spiritual life open to anything and everything. You can't allow yourself to be emotionally compromised by people who are unhealthy. You have to have, in a word, boundaries in your life. Regardless of what others might do, we are to abide, you and I, in the safety of biblical orthodoxy. We read the Bible, we study the Bible, we believe the Bible, we live the Bible. I'm going to say that again because this is all that matters. We read the Bible, we study the Bible, we believe the Bible, we live the Bible. If anything or anyone comes toward us from the outside and presses against the boundaries and parameters that are defined as, I read the Bible, I study the Bible, I believe the Bible, and I live the Bible, then we don't let them in. We refuse to let them in because they've gone out. If this is the truth, then you're going to have to make some sacrifices. You're going to have to make up your mind about some of your convictions. You're going to have to make a decision in light of God's truth about who you fellowship with. And it won't always be easy. Taking a stand, having convictions, resolving in your heart and mind to hold fast to the biblical truth as it is revealed from God to us might cost you friendships, degrees, jobs, raises, or a hundred other things. It was Jesus who said in Matthew 16, 26, what does a man gain if he gets the whole world? but forfeits his own soul. There are some things, friends, that aren't to be compared with Jesus. And those things, if they were all added together and had interests placed on top of them, would never come anywhere near the value of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's hard to know that if you aren't living in the safety and sanctity of the church because you won't hear this message out there. You won't hear this message in school. You won't hear this message in your workplace. Church, the thing is Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we can't sit still and keep quiet while false teachers use his name and neglect his doctrine. Use his name and neglect his truth. Use his name and neglect to give him glory because they want fame and popularity and attention under the guise that they're safe teachers because the organization that they work for has the word church in it. It's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. If you want to stay safe, stay inside. If you want to remain in sanctity, stay inside. If you want to be safe, Christian, stay inside the church and the straight teaching of the Bible on Jesus, on manhood and womanhood, on marriage, on parenting, 
on eternity. There's not one of these items that I've just mentioned, much less listen, much less not to mention the hundred peripheral issues that fall under some of these headings that the world is getting right. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's going to come up here on the screen for you. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What accord does Christ have with Belial? That's, a, that's an idol. That's a false god. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. The context of this is very clear. If you start looking different from the world because of your commitment from Christ and to Christ, that's the way it's supposed to be. If you say you're committed to Christ, but you walk like the world, you talk like the world, you live like the world, you better check your commitments. Because the word of God calls you out to be different, to be separate. John is saying, stay where you are. Stay inside the fellowship of the body of Christ. That's our first point. Our second point for this morning is leave the others outside. Leave the others outside. This is found in verses 10 and 11. You can read with your eyes as I read aloud. If you're ready, say amen. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting because whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Second and finally, we aren't only to stay where we are. We aren't only to stay inside in the safety and sanctity of the church of God, but we are also to leave the others outside. Pulling from our illustration earlier this morning of Hurricane Andrew, you remember what the command was. Once you're safe, don't compromise your safety. Stay where you are. Now, you might ask, Joe, that sounds kind of rude. Do you mean that? Well, I mean what the text means. And the text is being conspicuous and clear. We can't compromise the health of what God has done in our own places, in our homes, and in our churches. For the false teachers and false doctrines outside of our fellowship the belief perpetrated by those who have decided to live outside of the grace and goodness of God as it is revealed and experienced in the church. A couple of things I want you to note here under this idea. First, I want you to note that John is specific about who and what we reject. John is specific about who and what we reject. We are to reject false doctrine and those who are advocates of false doctrine. 
John isn't saying that we're to shut out everybody. John is not saying that we aren't to have guests in our church. John isn't saying that we aren't to help people who have need. John isn't saying that we aren't to share the good news of the gospel with the lost. He's not saying any of that stuff. What John is saying is specific about who and what. He is saying that anyone who advocates false doctrine, and false doctrine itself is to be rejected and denied fellowship in our church. Secondly, John is emphatic about how we reject them. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not what? Receive him into your house and and don't even give him a what? Don't even say hello to this fool. You're going up and down, you know, you're in the bakery because you're going to get a key lime pie from Publix. Because sometimes you need to make a pit stop and get a key lime pie. Amen. And you see somebody there and they're like, oh, hey, and you know where they're at. You know they're manipulative and unhealthy and they don't believe the gospel and they advocate for doctrines that don't honor Jesus. And you go, yeah, I'm not talking to you. Well, that's not very safe. Well, 2 John says, I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to have fellowship with you. Because by my having fellowship with you, you might think that what I think about what you teach is okay. And I don't believe that what you teach is okay. Don't even give them greetings. He continues, because whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. We have to have a backbone on these issues. Is it or is it not okay to believe whatever you want? That's the question. What we see unfolding today is the exact opposite, the antithesis of what we believe biblically. God believes, downloads to us, teaches us objective, verifiable truth. Now, you can say whatever you want about the experts that are locked in the administration's back room in the attic of the White House. We aren't called to listen to the experts. We're called to listen to the Word of God. The experts, they can philosophize all they want. They can say everything that they want and change it for whatever political end they choose to have for that quarter. Well, November's coming up and such. The reality of the matter is it doesn't matter what anybody says. The only word that matters to you and me is this word. And this word tells us that it is not permissible to believe whatever you want whenever you want. This word tells us that God's word is truth, and we hold to that. Specifically, John says that we shouldn't offer hospitality. Now, this is a big deal, church, because hospitality was an important discipline in the early church. It was a necessary grace during a time when secular businesses would deny Christians as patrons because they were Christians. 
So when Christians came to town, they would rely on the hospitality of other Christians. And John is saying, if somebody comes to town and expects hospitality from you, but they're not teaching the gospel, don't give them a bed. Don't even say hi. We call that boundaries. Don't offer hospitality. That's how we reject them. Finally, John is clear about why we reject them. Who and what, how, and finally why. This is important, friends, because John says who and what to reject. And and when John says how we should reject them, he finishes. He does not neglect to tell us the reason why we are to reject them. The reason is because the doctrine that they teach is not biblical. If we do, then we're taking part in their wicked works. Listen, who you follow on YouTube, the podcasts you listen to, the pastors or churches you follow on Instagram, it matters. It matters. Just because they swing around the word Jesus doesn't mean that they're sound. Either we believe the truth and hold fast to it, or we don't. If you think your group doesn't matter, think again. If you think... It doesn't matter where your kids go to school. Think again. If you think it doesn't matter how you vote, think again. If you think it doesn't matter what subscriptions you have or what shows you watch or what books you read, think again. If you think it doesn't matter what church you go to, as long as you go to a building that has the name church on it, think again. It's important for us to defend the faith. And I can think of three reasons why we should defend the faith. They're going to come up on the screen here. First, we should defend the faith because it's true. We should defend the faith because it's true. God's word is true, and it's not to be trifled with. Psalm 1830 says that God's word is true. Secondly, we should defend the faith because we're commanded to. You and I, as Christians, we're commanded to defend the faith. Write down this verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the apostle Peter tells Christians, In your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense. To make a what? To make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, before we are able to make a defense to anyone who might ask us why we have this hope in us, we have to do something else. Peter says, we've got to set apart Jesus as holy in our heart. You know why some of you fail to defend the faith? Because Jesus does not occupy a special place in your heart. Jesus is on a laundry list of idols that you carry around with you on a regular basis. For some of you, it's Instagram. For some of you, it's shopping. You want to, what is your idol? What makes you happy? I can't function until I have this much alcohol. That's your idol. 
I have to have six hours a day on my phone. There's your idol. Oh, you want to challenge me? Put your phone away for a week. What brings you joy? What satisfies you? What is the prerequisite that you must exhaust before you can function? That's your God. Try me. Put it to the test. If Jesus is one among a hundred in your heart, you don't have Jesus. Jesus is not equal to our idols. Amen? When Jesus comes home to our heart, he rids our hearts of all other loves. And Peter reminds us, if you're going to make a defense for the faith, first, Jesus must occupy a special place in your heart. In your heart, honor Christ as holy. The word holy, we say holy, we think of God. But the word holy literally just means clean, special, set apart. Is Jesus set apart in your heart? Jude chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that we are to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. I'm going to ask you a question. Say amen if you're listening. When's the last time you had a good knockdown, drag out fight with somebody because of Jesus? Well, we argue about a lot of stuff. At the end of the day, none of it means anything. When's the last time you had a good argument for Jesus? When's the last time, Jude says, that you contended for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints? If you don't know why you believe, or worse yet, if you don't know if you believe, stay here at First Baptist Church of Coleridge. We will sort that out. You will hear the word and you will hear Jesus. You will hear about redemption and reconciliation. You will hear about second, third, and fourth chances. And you will hear about an eternal promise that was bought and paid for for sinners like you and me by Jesus on that cross so long ago. Third, we should defend the faith because King Jesus is worthy of our defense. It's funny what we argue about. We argue about a lot of stupid stuff. Stuff that's not important. Stuff that isn't eternal. But when it comes to this issue, church, is our king worthy of our defense or not? We have got to have some convictions. Those of us who are inside, safe from the noise and the storms outside, we've got to have some convictions about people who drag the name of our king through the mud. About people who are trying to filter down from the PhDs who have never actually had a job through the universities, down through the curriculum of the educational system to our 10-year-olds and our 8-year-olds. We've got to have some convictions about these things, man. We've got to have some convictions about King Jesus. We always defend what is valuable and important to us. Why would it be any different with Jesus? Now, there is a trend and a current in our country right now that essentially says 
You need to be likable. You need to be, the catchphrase is, winsome. And in my humble opinion, what I think the world has done is it has lulled the church to sleep. The church has become impotent, more interested in being kind than being honest, more interested in being perceived as nice in view of the world rather than faithful in the eyes of God. To close, let me say this. We've all heard stories of people who failed to prepare for a storm, who neglected the seriousness of the warnings, but who wanted others to provide for them after they got caught in circumstances they were warned about. Sadly, it is not any different with the church. As a pastor of 20-some-odd years, it amazes me how many people call us, lean on us, and depend on us for a variety of things that they would easily have had at their disposal had they stayed inside. I believe in the local church. I believe in the local expression of the body of Christ. I also believe that it's unfortunate and sad when people stop attending the church but somehow, some way, have an expectation of that church that they have forsaken, of meeting their needs when they come along. It isn't easy to turn on or off relationships. Amen? It's not easy to turn on or off opportunities because of convictions that are held. But I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to tell you as gentle as possible. Some of you are here today dealing with circumstances that are nobody's fault but your own. If you would have kept your butt in church, you'd be in good standing today. But you neglected Jesus. You, ne you neglected Jesus' people. And now you're reaping what you've sown. Get back in church. Don't wander off far ahead of us. Stay with us in the fellowship of the truth of God's word and in the fellowship and truth that exists with God's people. I'm not saying that we should find the first person that we can when we leave today, maybe our waiter or our waitress, and then we're like mean and cruel. That's not what I'm saying. You never heard me say be mean or cruel. I said do not exchange niceties for truth. Do not compromise scriptural convictions for a smile. Instead, protect what we cherish. Protect what is valuable. And set boundaries around yourself and around our church that represent the principles that God has instilled in us. <laughs>